Welcome back. This is the Culture Commentary with Kendra. Today is an update on how defund the police is going. So after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, it re-sparked the police reform debate. One of the things or chants that arose during the protest was to defund the police. The demand generally was to move money from police budgets to social services and other local agencies diminishing the role of police. The goal, of course, is to end the racist and violent policing of Black people. So in Minneapolis, they pledged to defund their department. There was, of course, um, backlash from law enforcement community and um, even elected officials from other states like New York, Massachusetts, Colorado. They were pressuring them not to cut police budgets, but to pass reform legislation instead, um, including chokehold bans, training commissions, and body camera requirements. But the call to action in these cities had had quieted down a little bit. It wasn't as loud. The defund the police wasn't as loud as it was. Um, and But the fight continues. During election 2020, cities in six states approved 18 ballot measures, including creating and improving police oversight boards, changing police departments, staffing and funding, and requiring public access to body police and dash camera recordings. While some of these measures are a step toward reform, almost none are radical in terms of reimagining the police. Many of these things um, already exist or have been implemented in other cities, some of them for years. Um, And it's it's essentially the bare minimum that can be done for police accountability. But on one hand, these wins are stirring the debate on what to do about our broken police system and whether to keep fighting for incremental change of reform or to work toward dismantling the entire system altogether. But the issue, um, the issues being on the ballot do show somewhat of a tide shift. It does show that Americans are recognizing that something needs to be done and that they are willing to make some changes. So while some cities and states started passing um, police accountability legislation this summer, others, like I said, did it in November. For example, in California, seven local ballot initiatives passed. The most progressive one was the Los Angeles County measure. It was called Measure J, which was also known as Reimagine LA County. This measure amends the county's charter to require 10% of the city's unrestricted general funds that would have been part of the sheriff department's $2 billion budget to be invested in housing, mental health programs and services, and other alternatives to incarceration instead of prisons and policing. Although Measure J is effectively a move to defund the police, during the campaign, no one would use that term. They focused on the benefit of increased investment in underserved black and brown communities. This was likely done in response to some polling that they had done that suggested that people were turned off by the term defunding, even if they are into um, the core belief or the idea behind it, which was shifting funds from police to social services. They're like, just don't call it defund. The police accountability measures that pass in other cities, though, they don't exactly have anything to do with defunding. One of the most popular ones that were that passed uh, this November was um, uh, creating c- uh, civilian oversight committees. 
So I live in Atlanta and we've had oversight committees for years, but they look at things after something happens. That's essentially they investigate citizen complaints of police and police misconduct, but it won't prevent another George Floyd. Other policing measures that voters approved was cutting mandatory police staffing levels in in San Francisco, using body and dash camera recordings to document police use of force in Akron, Ohio, and symbolically codifying to change stop and frisk policing in Philadelphia, although what they passed doesn't um, doesn't entirely eradicate the stop and frisk policy altogether, so sort of, you know, half measures. But as I mentioned in a previous podcast about police unions, many of these measures can be circumvented by officers after an incident happens because of these union rules. And none of the talks or none of the measures that were on the ballot this year are addressing those things at all, which is a huge problem. Oluchi Omioga, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I tried to look it up, couldn't find how to pronounce it, but co-founder of Black Visions Collective in Minneapolis. It's one of the groups that was behind the push to defund the police, said that some of these police reform ballot initiatives don't exactly limit or lessen the power of police and that defunding is the way to move forward. Oluchi also said that the system of policing, if you look at our country's history, is working the way it's supposed to since it was created at a time when we abolished slavery. When we think about reform, there's no reform because the system is working exactly the way it's supposed to. So the two strategies that he sees is either the reformation of existing structures that we have or the complete abolition and restructure of a new community safety. Um, people who are for um, abolishing the police altogether say that they understand that the system of policing is in the interest of capitalism and white supremacy. So the tactic of defunding is to take the community's reliance away from the police and turning it into systems of community accountability and safety that isn't relying on the state. Which, in my opinion, was what the point of the movement was, was to lessen, I spread out this community safety so it's not solely in the hands of police who are abusing that power because they are the only source of protection that you have. The majority of the initiatives um, that have passed, have, like I said, have already been in place when black people have been killed and they didn't prevent it and they didn't hold the officers accountable after the fact. Breonna Taylor's murder was perfectly legal. No knock warrant, legal. Returning fire after breaking into someone's house if you're a police officer is legal. So to change the system, we have to do something else. But everyone's scared of this term defunding police. So what we get instead are oversight committees, let's do body cams. You get half measures that don't prevent another Floyd, another Taylor. And even with the ineffectiveness of the measures that were passed, there's still a lot of pushback. The Portland Police Association filed a grievance against the city arguing that its measure 26-217, which passed um, a few weeks ago, which establishes a police oversight board should have been negotiated with the union before the ballot measure went to voters. 
They seriously think that the oversight of them should have been negotiated with them. Which returns me to my previous point about these unions. That is a huge obstacle in actually changing police policies because the unions, every time a measure is passed, they can update their chart. They have a lot of power to update and change their charters to think of ways to circumvent these rules. But also in Minneapolis, um, police chief Arnando is asking other law enforcement agencies and city council for more funding right now to expand staffing, saying that many police officers went on leave. In Bay County, Florida, the county sheriff said, what I say to defund the police is that you can't defund what you never funded in the first place. He points out that state and federal authorities have failed to put up enough funds to combat mental health and substance abuse issues, which is what they're trying to do with defund the police. But he's saying, I think he's just saying, don't take it from us. Give us more money. Find that money somewhere else. But you don't give money to mental health and substance abuse issues anyway. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous argument. But anyway, back to Minneapolis. So the Washington Post did an article last week about increased gun violence in a predominantly black neighborhood in Minneapolis. A member of that community said that the police are not as uh, much of a presence as they used to be and that... Um, sometimes when neighbors call 911, officers are delayed in responding or they don't come at all. So nearly six months after George Floyd's death, the city described is described as having wide areas of the city burned and destroyed from the protests that Minneapolis is grappling with dueling crisis and unprecedented wave of violence and droves of officers leaving, being those two crises. The Minneapolis Police Department even warned soon that this could lead to the force being unable to respond to emergencies. Homicides in Minneapolis are up 50%, with nearly 75 people killed across the city so far this year. More than 500 people have been shot, the highest number in more than a decade and twice as many as in 2019. And there there have been more than uh, 4,600 violent crimes, including hundreds of carjackings and robberies, which is a five-year high for them. Minneapolis police say that they have struggled to respond, that they have faced a surge of officer departures in the wake of Floyd's death and then in the wake of the outcry against police. The police chief said that more than 100 officers have left the force, which is more than double their typical number, with many of them citing post-traumatic stress disorder linked to the protest um, after Floyd's death. The chief also told the Minneapolis Charter Commission which is studying police staffing as part of the city's city council's efforts to remake policing, um, that he has been forced to deactivate several divisions inside the department and put those officers back on patrol <clears throat> because of staffing shortages. The department has about 735 sworn officers. The city is budgeted for um, 888 positions, of which about 500 Um, actually do uh, patrols. He warned that dropping below 500 officers on the street would jeopardize the city's crime response. Okay, so here's my problem with Minneapolis. You just turned the police into uh, victims. They killed an unarmed black man. The people of the city 
and the country protested. The majority of these protests were people peaceful. Some of these people did burn down things, including a precinct in Minneapolis, like I think the day after Floyd or two days after George Floyd was murdered. And then you had some officers quit, like a hundred of them have quit. You still have 735 officers. Then for whatever reason, you are unable to fulfill your duties in one area. And you expect me to believe that coincidentally, that area is the black neighborhood. What it looks like from my perspective is that when you have a shortage of officers, you pull them from the black neighborhoods and then say, we need more money and more officers so the blacks won't kill each other. Sure, George Floyd um, was a mistake because the world saw it, but what do you expect? They, I think you're saying that George Floyd was a mistake and it was a, sta- a mistake because, you know, it was on video and everybody saw it. And then you're saying like, well, what do we expect? Like they're, they have crime problems in their area. Of course we thought he was up to no good. They have crime in their area. See, there's a bunch of crime. It's up this year. I call BS on all of this because the article does not say that there's an increase in crime in predominantly white neighborhoods. So if the police are stretched so thin and this hundred officers um, that are gone, which is, by the way, 50, only 50 more than you usually use, lose, more than 50 more than you usually lose are gone. You're telling, if you're telling me that that has stretched you so thin that you can't do your job, why is the crime only, only up in one area of town? Wouldn't it be up everywhere? Wouldn't there be neighborhoods across Minneapolis that are seeing, you know, robberies and car break-ins and shootings go up? But no, it's only one neighborhood. And I think that this just helps you feed this narrative that gives officers the excuse to shoot black people in the first place without remorse, without punishment, because see, they're so violent. But then you pulled officers from one area. The neighbor said they don't see them anymore. And when you call them for help, they don't come. I bet that's not happening all over the rest over the rest of Minneapolis. The article does talk about an officer who says he's suffering from PTSD and planning to planning to leave the force because he suffered physical injuries, including cuts and burns during the days of unrest after uh, George Floyd's death. He was in the third precinct building as it was take overtaken by protesters and subsequently set on fire. He recorded video messages to his wife and children because he thought he might not make it out alive. After that, he said he wasn't himself anymore and he had nightmares, he couldn't sleep, and he had panic attacks. Now, I can imagine that that was a terrifying situation. And if he's still suffering, still suffering from PTSD, then he should not, he shouldn't be a police officer anymore because the last thing that we need is for him to have a gun in his hand while he's patrolling the streets in the area where his trauma occurred. But this also overlooks And this narrative helps to undermine the movement in general. The unrest only came after the police did something wrong. You want to prevent PTSD among your officers? Then we need to reform them and stop them from shooting black people down in the street like animals. 
then there's no protest, then there's no buildings on fire, and your officers don't have PTSD. Not to mention, there's plenty of PTSD associated with the initial harm, which was the police officer's wrongdoing. And that's on the minds of these black and brown people, which led to a precinct being burned down. Then, let's talk about Congress for a second, just a second. We still have to contend with what is currently being called this infighting amongst the Democratic Party. And the narrative is that we're at civil war with one another. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because, you know, my frustrations with the Democratic Party are endless. I'm still a member of it, still frustrated by it. But we lost some house seats. The... They had a family meeting. I put that in quotes, family meeting. And then they sparred like the Hatfields and McCoys. Then they ran the Twitter to tell everybody about it. Then they were like, we don't get along. And they wonder why we struggle to get things done. It was, if you don't know what it was about, it was establishment or moderate Democrats that were blaming, or are, still happening, blaming progressive uh, Democrats for their losses or narrow wins uh, because the progressive Democrats were proponents or are proponents of defunding the police. So even though they won, even though the, the progressives were winning their seats, it was the moderate Democrats that were struggling in their precincts to hold on. And they said it's because the progressives were saying we support defunding police i'm sorry but this entire argument um is dumb democrats we cannot keep doing the same things over and over and wondering why we keep you know losing control we lost the presidency a senate and a house for a little while we get some we get make major strides in house seats then not as many as you wanted. And then you put the blame on one another. That just, how was that moving the party forward? I can't figure out how that's helping anything right now. Also, I can't figure out why we can't get on one page. And if the problem that you have is the terminology of defund the police, um, I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like call it something else, but we need to, we need police reform and it needs to be done and y'all need to be on the same page about it. Um, it's really just ridiculous, which is why the Republicans have taken over the Supreme Court, the federal bench. I mean, we're fighting for our lives for the Senate and y'all want to fight about the House seats that were lost or narrowly won, even though you still maintain majority. I advise you to come up with a better strategy for two years to keep the seats or take some more seats. But overall, it's just frustrating that they're fighting about this now. Um, but I digress. Overall, I think the the measures that have been done with police reform um, are going to be used are going to, we've not done enough. I don't think that the things that are being passed while they are a start, it's the bare minimum of a start. And it's not enough and it's not going to stop something tragic from happening again. As a a matter of fact, it continues to happen. There have been many more George Floyds after George Floyd. 
So um, there's so much more work to be done and uh, the fight is not over. And I don't mind calling it defund the police. I think that the fact that it makes them angry is good. The police, I mean, like the fact that that rubs them the wrong way is good. We can't keep doing the same measure saying, well, we'll put body cameras on. Body cameras prevent nothing. They prevent nothing. We've seen officers turn body cameras off. We've seen them not release footage. We've seen them lose footage. We've seen them not turn them on at all. So I don't know what passing a measure that says we're going to do body cams does for Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or the many others like them. But that's enough for today. Thank you for listening. This was the Culture Commentary with Kendra. Check out theculturecommentary.com every Tuesday and Friday for new blog posts and for more news and updates. Bye.